Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I want to tell you about a couple things we've got coming up. But first, on today's show, uh, Doug Maurice will jo- join Mary Kay Cabot and I, and we will talk about the Kareem Hunt extension. And we also will do a little fantasy draft uh, about some of the Browns' most important players. We had some fun with that. And then in the second half of the pod, you'll hear from Terry Pluto. Now, I want to tell you about Football Insider, but I want to, I want to let you know that on Wednesday night at 7, we're going to have a Zoom call with our Football Insider subscribers. They're going to jump on. Uh, we're going to talk with them, preview the season. Uh, they're going to get to ask some questions. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you want to get involved in that, we have a 14-day free trial for Football Insider. And all you have to do is text 216-208-3965. And you can start that 14-day free trial. This is a great time to check it out because the season is starting there's football to watch. We're going to have a lot of fun things available for our subscribers. You'll get texts from me, Mary Kay, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, but also exclusive things like the Zoom call with us on Wednesday. Uh, we're, we're probably going to do a post-game show for our, our Football Insider subscribers so they can call in and vent and chat with us after games. So there's a lot of fun opportunities, and this is a great time for you to see if it's right for you because you can cancel any time with one text. So you can start it with a text, 216 216- 208-3965. After that, it's just $3.99 per month. Check out Football Insider. See if it's right for you because football is back. Now here's the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. Everybody, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How you doing? Doing well, and also joined by Doug Maurice. Doug, I think it's been, I don't know how long, probably before training camp. So it's been a little while. I still don't know any more than I did then. So <laughs> maybe you want to kick me off again. But thanks for having me. You and me both. Uh, let's talk about the news of the day. Uh, right before we came on to record, Kareem Hunt uh, signs a two-year extension with the Browns. You know, before, before you jumped in our Zoom here, Mary Kay, Doug asked me, like, was this kind of out of the blue? To me, it sort of did feel out of the blue. Did you feel the same way? Well, I knew that what they wanted was to see that Kareem Hunt was doing all the right things off the field. They needed some kind of a commitment before they were uh, going to make this financial commitment to him. And he's done everything that they've asked and more. He's exceeded expectations off the field. I think that the traffic stop in January really was a big, huge wake-up call for him. I think people kind of rallied around him and kind of grabbed him by, you know, by the 
scruff of the neck and said, hey, like you got now you've got to get it together or you could be out of football for the rest of your life. And and I think he did wake up uh, for that. And I think he's done all the right things. I think he's, uh, you know, I think he's gotten back to his faith some. I think he's, uh, you know, he's relied on friends like Nick Chubb. And, and I just think that they saw that commitment and they were willing to put some money to it. Doug, what was your reaction when you saw the news? I mean, I, I get what's in it for the Browns. I guess I'm not – it's a little more surprising to me that maybe that Kareem Hunt would go down this road because I didn't know how much he was viewing what's happening in Cleveland as sort of like a way station on, like, the revitalization of his career and that if you come in here – um, I didn't know if he would wind up in a spot where maybe you leave here, you go on a one-year prove-it deal to a team that's going to let you be the feature back, and then all of a sudden, then you set yourself up in a, you know to, it, to have a position to to get paid like a featured running back again. Um, and that this, I mean, this makes me think about like what what's the end game for both the Browns and Kareem Hunt here when you agree to a deal like this? Is is he is he now? Uh, should I just say stuff that makes no sense? This is like, yes. I think that I say stuff that makes no sense. And then Mary Kay and Dan come in and say like, Doug, <laughs> you idiot, right? This is, I think the what we can do here. Is he Jarvis's long-term replacement? Like, is he, <laughs> I don't, wh what's he going to be? And why, what does, I get why the Browns want to keep a talented guy for a pretty decent price. Who's like insurance at an important position, but also really productive on his own in his own way. What does Kareem Hunt think he wants to be over the, the next couple of years of this contract? And why was that a smart move for him? to? Do? What's his role, Mary Kay, as he goes through this, this two-year deal? Well, I think more so than anything, it's a sign that Kareem Hunt is uh, repaying the Browns for giving him not only the second chance when nobody else would, but the third chance when, once again, he had that, uh, that traffic incident in January and people could see that uh, that he was kind of going off the rails a little bit and that he was not on track and that he was using marijuana as he admitted uh, in the dash cam video and that uh, he was having some problems. I think the fact that he has a good support team here, uh, I think that he knows this is the, the right place for him to be right now. And I think he was willing uh, to basically say, okay, look, I'm gonna make $6.625 .6 million in new money when I see Derrick Henry uh, making 12 and a half and I see Joe Mixon making 12 and I see Christian McCaffrey making 16. I, I think, you know, he just can't do that until he rehabilitates himself uh, on the field and off the field. And I think this was a little bit of a, a debt of gratitude. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's partially, maybe he understands what's going to help him kind of stay on that, on that straight and narrow, right? Like it, it seems like being home, has helped to an extent. It seems like being in a situation where a team kind of believes in him and he's not necessarily the, you know, the superstar or anything like that. It, it seems like that suits him well too. It, it is interesting though, because he'll be, let's see, he's 25 now, turned 25 in August. So he'll be 28 when he's, uh, he'll be 27 when he's a free agent. He'll be 28 that seat when that season starts. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't think anybody's going to you know, be scrambling to pay a, a running back that's about to turn 28 big money, but he's going to have an opportunity to maybe do that in a couple of years. Uh, it, it gives the Browns an opportunity to maybe still 
extend Nick Chubb if they want to, because this isn't a ton of money that they're paying to Kareem Hunt and it, it fits right in those rookie windows. So, you know, I just think with Kareem, this is a situation where he's happy to be back playing football. He understands how quickly it could be gone. And now he's got a little bit of financial security, at least uh, to, to get him through a few years here. I do want to bring up the Nick Chubb part of this though. Does this have any impact at all on Nick Chubb? He can, they can extend him after this season. He's a free agent after next season. Should we be thinking about Nick Chubb when we hear about this contract extension or is it completely unrelated? You know what? I think it's related. I think it gives them the opportunity uh, to, to re-sign Nick Chubb and to keep these two guys, this dynamic duo on this football team for years to come. And I've, I've said this before, in the analytics world, they probably don't want to pay Nick Chubb $12 million a year, but sometimes you have to throw other things into the hopper. And I think that uh, for what he means to the city, what he means to the community, what he means to the football team, I think that's going to be worth a premium. And I think that they probably will be willing to pay Nick Chubb. And this contract to Kareem Hunt makes it possible. $6.625 million dollars is not breaking the bank for a really good running back. So I think it just paves the way to get Nick paid. I'm going to come here again from a position of <laughs> ignorance. So say Nick Chubb says, I want this number. I think I, I want McCaffrey money, right? And the Browns say, that's, that's numbers too big for us. And Nick Chubb says, well, then I'm going to go. And they say, that's all right. We got Kareem Hunt. Like, does this, this makes it more likely to keep Nick Chubb or is this, is this like negotiating leverage for the Browns of like, well, we don't, we're going to set a number. Cause I don't know, Mary Kay, you know, a thousand times more than this. Name. It feels like the Browns set numbers and it's like, well, why didn't they do this to get clowny or why didn't they do this? You're often reporting that they are interested, right? They're involved in things, but it doesn't feel like if it's like, listen, this is what we think this guy at this position is worth. And if he's not willing to do it, we're not going to go to a number that we don't think is right for our roster building. If Nick Chubbs wants a really big number, that's not unreasonable in the market, but it's just not where they're willing to go. Now they can say, well, we have this guy for 6 million who was as good as any running back in the league a couple years ago. It's almost like preemptive Nick Chubb insurance that I feel like maybe could be a negotiating ploy for the Browns because they, if they wouldn't be desperate if Nick Chubb said, I'm going to leave. So I think there is, there's a lot of like maneuvering around here. I just don't know that to me, this means there's a better chance of Nick Chubb staying. It maybe feels like this is the beginning of the, the Browns drawing a line, but of course I'm probably wrong. Well, it, it could be either thing. I mean, it gives you the opportunity, as you said, to let him walk if the number gets too big. It also gives you the opportunity to pay him a lot of money if you choose to go uh, to a certain level, which that's going to have to be double digit millions. If you don't wanna do that because analytics people usually don't do that for running backs, you don't have to. Not only that, uh, you know, we kind of all know that it's not that you can just pull somebody in off the street and throw them behind a, a good offensive line and there they go. But for the most part, you can find good running backs to churn out yards for you. So this kind of gives them, as you said, insurance against Nick leaving, but also a number that makes it possible to still pay Nick if they choose to. But, but the thing of it is, again, as you allocate resources in a, in a situation where they're going to have a, a chunk of good young players who they're going to want to pay, 
And they're honestly, they're just not going to be able to pay all of them. I mean, they're just not. I keep telling, it's like, this is the price of having a good team and good players is you're going to lose good players, which Cleveland Browns fans are not accustomed to doing. They lose them the screwy way. They lose them like the Mitchell Schwartz way, but they don't lose them in like a, hey, this was a decision, a tough decision that we made. Kareem's making six something. What if Nick wants like 13 or four? You get paid $20 million a year to tailbacks? So, but, but like, what is Kareem Hunt then if he's not your tailback? Is he something else? Whatever. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they do end up using him, how they end up using them together. Because, man, at 20 million bucks at tailback, if that's kind of what they are, I just, I don't think they're going to go there. Yeah, I, I, I think Kareem Hunt, I've, I've called him a few times the, the overqualified Duke Johnson here. And I actually, uh, folks are going to hear from Terry Pluto uh, in the second segment of this podcast. And I asked Terry this question, and I think it's really interesting. And I, I always keep going back to this with Kareem Hunt and how they're going to use him this year. But just honestly, real quick, before we, we get into another exercise we're going to do, when you look at the third receiver in Kareem Hunt, right? Like you can maybe look at a guy like, you know, could Daryl Hodge or Donovan Peoples-Jones in their speed and say, you know, what can that guy do to Kareem Hunt Campbell? They're really fast. But I always go back to Rashard Higgins. What, what can Rashard Higgins do that Kareem Hunt can't do? I, I keep trying to figure that out. And, and I feel like Browns fans might get a little frustrated this year because I, I think it's going to be really hard to take Kareem Hunt off the field for a guy like a Rashard Higgins or even a guy like a Kaderil Hodge or, or a Donovan Peoples-Jones. Well, you know, it's a game of matchups and it's a game of confusion and it's a game uh, of, you know, just trying to create, especially for Kevin Stefanski, sort of the ambiguity between the run and the pass. So I think that, you know, I mean, there might be weeks where Kareem Hunt serves as the third receiver. Uh, there might be weeks where, uh, where Rashard Higgins, for whatever reason, uh, even if it's just the element of surprise because they didn't do it that way last week, might get some opportunities there. They have flexibility with a lot of these guys and I don't even think they know yet they don't even know yet who is going to do what well and how it's all going to work out when they put it into a game I don't want to be negative I hope Nick Chubb signs here for a good number and is brown for the rest of his life and I hope Kareem Hunt gets a gazillion snaps and does great things it does remind me a little bit of what Ohio State did with Braxton Miller in 2015 when they decided they had a guy who played one position Braxton Miller was a quarterback and then he got injured and they, they decided to make him a slot receiver. And he wasn't, he was a great athlete. He didn't really know how to run a route and they kept trying to like jam things in for ways to use him. And it worked in flashes, but it never worked consistently. And, and Kareem is in a very different situation, but I do think it is one of these things. It's like, well, I'm a little curious about being like, if you're really the third receiver, I mean, there's kind of a thing to play in receiver. You can't just trot anybody out there and say, catch the ball, right? It's a little more complicated than that. And then if they wind up trying to do too much stuff of like, well, we've got to get Kareem the ball this way or that way, and it's not in the flow of the offense, they have a lot of talented guys. I'm, I don't, I, of course, we're all super curious of how it's going to work. I think sometimes you can wind up trying too hard to jam square pegs and round holes and it can get a little screwy. And I don't, I'm not a thousand percent assuming that this is all just going to be perfect because I think there could be some hiccups along the way. Okay. Doug, you said it. They have a lot of talented guys. So uh, we're going to do, we're going to have to call this like the Doug Maurice fantasy draft. Cause it seems like we do like fantasy drafts every time you come on or, or some kind of uh, game show. All right, 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up with the most important Browns players, and we're going to do it by going through a fantasy draft. We're each going to pick a guy and talk about him. Uh, I don't know how to, how to determine draft order here. We're going to do it live here on the, uh, on the show. I'm going, to, I'm going to search for a random number generator. I was going to say, we could, we could go by who knows the most and who knows the least. And oh, then no, I, no. I would pick last in that situation. We're doing a random number generator. Okay. Okay. One through 10. Doug, pick a number. Seven. Mary Kay. Four. This is like Price is Right. (laughs) I'm going to go, I'm going to go one. All right. So I'm on Google here. Random number generator. One through 10. It's a six. So it's going to be Doug, Mary Kay, and then me. We'll go traditional style. We won't go snake draft. I won't, I won't finagle it to get two picks in a row here. All right, so Doug, lead us off. So this is, we are drafting players who will have the most to do with the Browns' success this yes. year. Yes, let's, say, the, let's say the Browns it? make the playoffs. Who are the players okay. that we will look back and say that guy was the most important reason that they made the playoffs? So I'm going to probably maybe go off the board here and, and not take the obvious number one unless I am taking the obvious number one. I'll take Miles Garrett, and I'll do that because – I think you saw what happened when he wasn't on the field in the last six games last year. We've talked at various times last year, this year about making a leap to a defensive player of the year type candidate. They do have some questions, other places on the defense, a pass rush often covers every other hole that you have. And if he is healthy and on the field and productive and better than he's ever been for 16 games, I think that has the chance to make the biggest difference because I think the other guy who is the candidate to be the number one pick, there are a lot more people around him who can help him look good. I think on Miles, it's a little bit more on Miles himself. So I'll take Garrett number one. I think that's a zig at number one. Or is it a zag? Which one is it? I'm a little surprised. I I thought Miles would maybe go number two. Uh, But, you know, it's hard to argue. You mentioned what happened over those last uh, six games last year. I I can't make too much of an argument there. Mary Kay, you have any thoughts on dogs and then number two? I absolutely would have gone Miles Garrett at number one as well, because here's why I think that. I mean, if Baker Mayfield gets hurt, you plug in Case Keenum. If Nick Chubb gets hurt, you got Kareem Hunt. You know, if Odell gets hurt, you still have Jarvis and, you know, other people. If Miles gets hurt, there's no other Miles coming along to save you. So I would have gone uh, Miles with number one as well for some of the same reasons. I'm surprised. Uh, Yeah. No. I, I, it, 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 I didn't even hesitate. I wouldn't have hesitated. I think the quality um, but, of the backup argument, Mary Kay, is a great argument. I think you're exactly right with that. How good the guy behind you, who would replace you, how good are they is a big part of it. Well, I, yeah, I, had, Baker, I had Baker number one on my big board. So, you know, Mary Kay, if you want to let him slip to three, I'll take him. But uh, we'll, we'll let you go no, I'm, here. I'm, I'm sorry, Dan. I cannot let that happen. I'm taking him. <laughs> I'm going to take Baker because, uh, you know, he is the offensive counterpart to Miles. You've got Miles, you've got Baker. It's going to come down to those two guys. They both have to be great for this whole thing to work out the way you want it to this season. And um, I mean, not have to. Again, once again, I do think that Case Keenum, if necessary, could step in and hold down the fort. But if Baker is the number one overall pick that everybody expects him to be and can function in this play action base scheme the way everyone believes he can uh then they're going to the playoffs 
And uh, I, I just think that it's all set up for him to do that. And I think that he's got every bit of talent around him to be able to be successful. And if they get there, uh, it will be because he's not throwing 21 interceptions and he's distributing the ball very well. All right. All right. Who am I going to do here at number three? This is, uh, I've got a lot of ways to go here. I think I'm going to go with the star power at number three, and I'm going to go with, with Baker's most uh, prominent weapon. I'm going to go with Odell Beckham Jr. I, I could go with one of the running backs here, but that's sort of the same case as the Baker Case Keenum thing, right? You mentioned it, Mary Kay. If you lose Nick Chubb, you put in Kareem Hunt. You know, I could go with one of the DBs, uh, but I think Odell Beckham Jr., if he has the type of season he's capable of having, if we're talking 1,200 yards, 1,300 yards, if he's a downfield threat, if he's, if he's someone that defenses have to really account for every single week, I think he's going to be one of the big reasons this team has the success that they can have. And we're talking about a playoff game in January because Odell Beckham Jr. put last season behind him. He was healthy. He was a difference maker. He was a problem on the field for defenses and him and Baker Mayfield connected like they never even came close to connecting a year ago. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the star power here and I'm going to go with Odell Beckham. You know, a strong case can be made for that, Dan. I mean, I've been saying all along that if Odell and Baker can connect for double digit touchdowns, which is where I believe the bar should be set for those two guys, even though there's a lot of talent on this football team, if they can do that, uh, then I, then this team is definitely in the playoffs. So uh, I think it opens things up for Odell, the play action and the fact that there are so many other people that you cannot always roll extra coverage to him. I think Baker and Odell is, is huge this year. I, I like your pick. Doug, we're over to you. So if you have thoughts on Odell, go for it and then give us number four. Yeah, I would have taken Odell if he didn't take him. So I think that's the right pick. So this pick now for me is going to be Totally not best player, right? I mean, this guy, to me, this is a guy who plays a really important position and to me has maybe the greatest variance to what his ceiling and his floor could be for this season. And it's also at a position that I think a lot of, I was particularly obsessed with last year because I still contend that a lack of production at these, at this position contributed to Baker Mayfield not having a great year. So I'm going to go tackle and I'm going to go Jedrick Wills. And the idea of moving a first-round rookie who has not played on the left side, who's trying to make that transition in the middle of a pandemic to protect Baker Mayfield. You know, Jack Conklin's really important too, but I'm going to kind of assume Jack Conklin's at least going to be X good, right? I mean, he's done it before. Jedrick Wills has not done it before in the NFL. And, like, if he's bad – because he's young and he's new and he's switching sides. If he's bad, I think they're in trouble. Because I'm also not exactly sure who else they would put there, right? I mean, is it Kendall Lamb or is it Chris Hubbard? Or I, like, I, if Jedrick Wills like flames out or gets hurt, I don't know what they're doing there. They are putting a lot on this guy. And if he just steps in and is like, I got it. I think that will go a hugely long way to the rest of the offense looking very functional if Baker Mayfield feels confident in the guys protecting him on the edge. So I just think he is a, I don't know which way it's going to go. I don't think we can assume that he's just going to step in and be great. But if he is, boy, oh boy, would that be a difference. So I'll go Jedrick Wills. 
Yeah, I've got to agree with that, Mary Kay. Like, if, if this team makes the playoffs, we're going to be looking at this left tackle situation and saying Jedrick Wills got better as the year went along and has established himself as this team's long-term tackle. Yeah, and you know, I talked to Joe Thomas about this just last week, and it was really interesting to hear Joe talk about this and say things like, you know, he can't believe what Jed is trying to do uh, to go out there and move from right tackle to left tackle with no offseason practices. He asked for patience, and I, I think the message is, you know, this guy uh, really is behind the eight ball trying to pull this off. Joe talks about how he didn't, he didn't like what he was putting on film until halfway through the season. If that happens with Jed, with everything uh, he's been through or hasn't been through this offseason, they could be in some kind of trouble. So uh, that's an excellent pick there. I agree with you. It's so vitally important for him to play well and to play well early. Um, my next pick is, wait for it, tight end Austin Hooper. The tight end position is vitally important in Kevin Stefanski's offense. That's why I'm going with him right now, even ahead of a Jarvis Landry, who is obviously extremely important. Uh, but I think they're going to use that middle of the field. I think Baker really likes Austin Hooper. They've already developed a chemistry and a friendship. And just the way that this offense is run, uh, not only with a lot of one tight end, but a lot of two tight end, uh, I think he's going to be integral to running this scheme. And it seemed like him and Baker had a pretty good connection in camp already. Uh, so, so that's a good sign. And we know, we know the tight end is, is a big deal in this offense. And if you have a good one up at the top, you know, that, that's going to help everybody. No, I think, that's a, I think that's a smart pick. And it just feels like I think we, we could get into a place very quickly where if it works, we take it for granted very quickly. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, Austin Hooper had six catches for 80 yards. What did you think? Of course he did. That's what happens. It's a, it's a Kevin Stefanski offense and a quarterback in Baker Mayfield who loves to use the tight end. But you've got to have a guy that you can rely on to do that. And then you get to the end of the year, it's like, oh, of course. Like, Austin Hooper had over 1,000 yards. and was, like, really productive. Of course he was. Like, it won't be super glam, but it might just be like, move the chains, move the chains, move the chains, open something up for Odell down the field, move the chains. And if he becomes, like, a security blanket and just another guy, like, a guy that Baker can rely on, ah, uh, it's just, it's, it's like – world-changing for Baker if they can settle into that. Okay. I'm gonna th I think I'm going to throw the first wild card out here. Because first of all, we're running out of picks. So I've, I've got to do something stupid here before we get to the end. I'm going to throw out a guy that just got here. I'm going to say Ronnie Harrison. Man, really, I was thinking about him. Really important to this team's success this year. Because personally, I'm nervous about this secondary. Outside of Denzel Ward... Uh, who's, a, who's another guy I would have considered picking, but uh, I, I think Denzel Ward's going to be, if he's healthy, he's going to have a great year this year. The rest of that secondary really kind of makes me nervous. I don't know what Carl Joseph is. Andrew Sendejo is a guy that played for two teams last year and is, is in his 30s. Uh, Greedy Williams, who knows if we're going to see Greedy Williams at practice on Wednesday or not. We haven't seen him for almost two weeks out on the practice field. We don't know what's going on with him. There's been so many injuries there. And I, they were going to rely so heavily on Grant Delbert to just play all over the place on that defense. And now they don't have him. And so if Ronnie Harrison can come in and give you some semblance of what Grant Delbert gave you, I, I think it unlocks a lot of other things on that defense. So I'm going to say that Ronnie Harrison is a guy that if he has a big year, if he shows that he can be a long-term safety for this team and, and fills in a lot of those gaps that they lose with Grant Delbert, 
I, I think that's going to be a big thing for this defense in an area where they're a little shaky. You know, that's a really good wild card pick. I, I would not have expected you to say that. And it's yes. very, yes, I like it. It's intriguing. It's interesting. And you're right because they need somebody like that back there. They really do. And he can play so many different positions and he will. I mean, he's going to play a lot of those Grant Delpit roles. Uh, they're going to be in the big nickel a lot. They're going to be in regular nickel. They're going to be in dime. So uh, he's going to play integral roles in all of those different defenses. And he does have the versatility to do so. And uh, yeah, I think that, he, you know, last year he finished with 70 tackles and nine passes defense. That was second on the Jaguars in both categories. That's a lot of production. And I think it would go a long way uh, toward helping these guys out. I definitely feel like we're at the point in a draft like this where if Delpit were healthy, he would be the pick, right? Because the way that, that Joe Woods talked about it, felt like Grant Delpit was going to be a, a, a glue guy in the back end of that defense as a rookie and holding a lot of things together because of how the Browns want to play defensively. And so like to pick the guy who might have the best chance to simulate what they lost with Delpit, I think makes a lot of sense. But it is also crazy to me, and you guys have covered this for weeks, how can it be that Grant Delpit's loss feels like this much of a gaping hole for a guy who has never played a snap as a Brown? And, and, but it just, you could see it emerging. Like that guy was such a critical piece if he would have been healthy. I, I kind of go back to how predictable the draft was for this team in those early rounds. We kind of knew, like there were two positions they really left untouched in free agency. And that was left tackle and then really, even though they, they signed Carl Joseph and they signed Anderson Sandejo, I mean, those were one-year deals, taking a chance on those guys. They, they kind of left safety open too. And it just felt really obvious. Okay, they're going to take their left tackle and they're going to take their safety. That's how they're going to fill those holes. And so I think, you know, from the minute they drafted Delpit, it was right this guy in Penn, he's going to play a significant role in this defense because that's sort of how they designed uh, how they approached this offseason. And it's yeah. funny. I just think I'm not, it, it doesn't feel like even to the extent of they didn't just say, we're going to take a left tackle and a safety like that. It almost feels like they were like, we think Delpit's going to fall to the second round and we're taking Grant Delpit that <laughs> we loved him. Like that guy, that skill set, that exact player. Cause he's not, he does a variety of things that it's, they needed that position, but they needed that guy at that position. Man, it makes me sad. He's hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you spend a second round pick on a guy, you expect that he's going to come in and he's going to start for you as a rookie and make a very big impact. That was the expectation. And they liked so many things about him, size, length, versatility, uh, just, just everything. I mean, demeanor, attitude, energy, uh, all the intangible stuff like that. Uh, so I, I do think it was, it was huge when, when they lost him. All right, Doug, uh, pick number seven, and this is going to be your last one. This is hard, and I don't want to take everybody's uh, thought processes, but, I, but it makes me think about corner because I do think there's an assumption with Denzel Ward that he's going to be good, but what if he makes a leap? What if he makes a leap to great? I don't – nobody exactly knows how the other corner spots are going to work out, so it feels like maybe Greedy Williams could be a pick here, but also like, well, if Greedy doesn't play, are they okay with Kevin Mit or with Terrence Mitchell and – Kevin Johnson and some of the other people like they, do they have enough to fill in? They'll be okay. Um, I thought about, I mean, again, I mean, it's like, Hey, but how about the guy who might rush for 2000 yards, but I'm not taking him. Maybe this is weird too. I'm going to take Olivier Vernon. And the reason I'm going to do that is 
leaning in one more time to the pass rush thing and the idea of what if Miles is maybe one of the two or three best pass rushers in the league? And what if Olivier Vernon at the same time is one of the 10 or 12 best pass rushers in the league and they're on the field together? Oh my gosh, what would that, because it just felt like even, you know, that didn't happen all that much last year. And I think Olivier Vernon has proven in the past that he's a very good player. I don't think for an extended period of time, we have seen the best of Olivier Vernon yet in Cleveland. But this is a guy who has a background, has a resume. And if you combine those two guys on the edge on a regular basis, getting it done, it will, it will cover up a lot of the questions that we have at linebacker, at safety, and at corner. And I also think it's possible that Olivier Vernon just kind of is just okay. He misses a couple games here or there. And I think they would feel that too. So that's another guy to me that his hot, his ceiling and his basement, there might be a pretty big gap there. And, and which way he leans could have a great influence on their success. Well, there's no question that Olivier Vernon is a really, really good player, really solid, grades out really, really highly when he's healthy. And so, you know, I can, you can make a strong case for this pick right here because you're right if those two guys are together uh, amazing things can happen when both of them were gone in the second half of last season the defense went in in the tank I mean it was just absolutely horrible uh, so I, I think a strong case can be made not who I would have picked there so you left me with Denzel Ward uh, I think Denzel Ward uh you know, you've got to have a really good shut down your side of the field, killer cornerback. You have to have a lot of, a, a number of good ones, obviously, in the NFL, but you've got to have that guy. You have to have a Pro Bowl cornerback uh, that can shut down what you're going to get when, you know, the Deshaun Watsons come to town and, and, and all these kinds of things. Uh, you know, you've really got to be able uh, to defend the pass the way that Denzel can. And also, I think he's going to bring another element this year of getting his hands on some footballs. I think he wants to add that to his game. I think he will do it, and I think it will make a difference. It's a good pick. Yeah, he, he was one of the guys that was on my list, too. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of these guys, you know, as, as I kind of come up on my last pick, you look at a guy like, we don't talk about Joel Batonio, right? We don't talk about, Doug, you mentioned it with Jack Conklin. We, we kind of expect those guys, right? We know what they're going to do. We know what Jarvis Landry's going to do. We know what Nick Chubb's going to do. I, I think a lot of these guys are either, we aren't 100% sure, or in the case of a guy like Denzel Ward or Miles Garrett or Baker Mayfield, we're thinking maybe those guys can take a, a leap almost, right, to kind of reach their ceilings. We've seen some glimpses, uh, but now them reaching their ceilings is the difference. So now I've got to come up with my last pick, uh, and then I, I do want to hear if there's any other names that we missed before we go. Yeah, I'm going to go with the guy we talked about off the top of the show. I think Kareem Hunt. I, I think if we get to uh, the end of the season and the Browns are in the playoffs, it's because they've found some creative, interesting ways to unlock Kareem Hunt, because I do think it's going to be hard to do with Nick Chubb. You're going to want to give the ball to Nick Chubb a lot. And I think if they can, if they can find ways to, you know, Terry Pluto calls me, Kareem Hunt's agent. I talk about him a ton, but I'm going to put him on this list because I think he's a guy that just causes problems for offense, for defensive coordinators who feel like they have this offense figured out. 
And then they've got to figure out how to stop Kareem Hunt on top of all of it. Good pick, Dan, because once again, not only is Kareem Hunt one of the best runners in the NFL, won the rushing title in 2017, he's an excellent receiver. So he brings a different element. If for some reason you did not have Nick Chubb, I don't think you'd miss a beat if you had Kareem Hunt in there. I know we know that you wouldn't miss a beat with Kareem Hunt in there as your workhorse runner. And then you also have the added element of him as receiver out of the backfield, in the slot, a little split wide, H-back, or whatever else you want to do with them. So a couple years ago when the Indians traded for Andrew Miller and they started yeah. using this great reliever sort of in the seventh and eight, eighth innings, he wasn't their closer, but he was like a super reliever that you'd bring in and he'd get five outs, five critical outs that helped you win the game. But he wasn't your closer. He was sort of a thing that we didn't exactly know what to call it, but it was super important to winning. What if the Browns are creating a new position in the NFL where in a league we've talked about, like there's lots of teams that want to have like two backs because you don't want to have one tailback, take all those hits, but then you end up, well, does a guy get enough work or how do you split it? What if there's an idea of, we're going to have a guy who, who could be our lead tailback. So he's our second tailback, but he's also our third receiver. So that if, in a, if, we, if the other guy got hurt and running backs get hurt, he slides right in. But then when, when that guy's playing, this guy isn't on the bench. He's on the field doing something else. So is he really a third receiver? Is he a slot receiver? No. Is he a running back? No. He's like a super back or he's a, I don't know. Dan, you're his agent. Make up a name for him. <laughs> but what if like Kareem Hunt just on the regular changes games? I don't know how. You, you give it to him running here, you throw it to him there, you do a little this. It's not trick plays. It's just how you use a talented guy who has both skill sets. We talk about running backs who can catch the ball all the time, but does nobody ever says, well, let's take a guy who could win the rushing title and make him a slot receiver. Nobody's ever said that before. What if they're inventing something? Dan, I think your client signed a contract for too little. I'm He's changing the face of the NFL. I think like, that's, I don't know, would I bet on that? I don't know. That's what the upside is here, that like Kareem Hunt is just on the field a lot, and when he's on the field, you can't cover him. I, I can't say anything because, as, as the kids like to say, Doug, I'm completely shook. I've, I've been talking about Kareem Hunt since I don't know when, and I never came up with the Andrew Miller comparison, and now I'm just really mad. I, I wish I would have come up with that. He's a, he's a, he's a huntback, man. He does, he's his own thing. There's no name for him. So I think it's a really good pick. But before we wrap up, I would just like to say, five years ago, seven years ago, during the darkest, I don't know, four years, during the darkest, dark days of the Browns, Jarvis Landry would have been like the second pick in a draft <laughs> like this. By the way, we did nine picks, and I know it's not the best players. We did not pick the guy who might win the rushing title. It's just a reminder that this team has actual talent and actual interesting players that matter. And I, I mean, seriously, how many years ago would have Gary Barnage would have been like the third pick in this draft. It's unbelievable. They have so many more dudes than they used to have. How about all purpose back? There you go. That, that actually there, I guess there is a name that they've already. <laughs> I'm acting like it's never been done before. It's like Mary Kay's like, well, there's, there's an all purpose back. It's like, oh yeah, you're right. You, you so. know what other, you know what position we didn't bring up? 
And I don't know, maybe the Browns front office will be happy about this. They'll say, see, we told you, we didn't talk about a single linebacker. Because they'll be fine with their slightly below average linebackers who will not have a huge impact on whether they win or lose. <laughs> All right, there we go. Uh, nine players that we think will have a big impact if this team makes it to the postseason. Some guys we're going to be talking about uh, as well. Uh, okay, we've got Terry Pluto coming up on the other side. We're going to take, take a quick break. I'll tell you about our sponsor, Keeps. And then you'll hear from Terry Pluto. One quick note. I talked to Terry before Kareem Hunt signed his extension. We did talk a little bit about Kareem, but it happened before uh, he signed his extension. So uh, you won't hear us talk about that specifically. Now a break, and then Terry. And now welcoming on Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you? I'm well, Dan. All right. Uh, you know, we were talking before we came on, and I thought, you know what, we've got to hit record here because we're, we're talking about something I wanted to talk about, and that's our season predictions for the Browns. Uh, they're due this week. I, I kind of sat down and was starting to write mine before we hit record here. And I, I, the, the vibe I got from you, Terry, is this is really tough this year to kind of figure out what this team is going to be. Well, I think it's a little like the baseball uh, situation where you look at some of the – I mean, some of the super teams are still good. The Dodgers are really good. You know, the Yankees are really good. You know, the Indian – frankly, in some way, the Indians remind me of like the Steelers and the Ravens. I mean, every year they're, they're stable. Every year they're, they're built on a certain thing pitching. You know, they're really good. But a bunch of these other teams, I mean, even looked like the other day, I saw the Tigers are two games under 500. I mean, who saw that? And, and some of these other, the White Sox have, you know, been an upstart team. And, and the reason I'm starting with baseball, because I think football is going to be the same thing when you don't have the preseason to really get yourself together. And you didn't have a normal training camp of, of any sort, you know, as baseball didn't. Um, then it, you're just sort of thrown out there and let's see who does what. So, I mean, it almost seems like it, it's going to help teams to know who they are, right? So Baltimore knows who they are. Yeah. You know, Pittsburgh, we kind of think knows who they are, even though Ben Roethlisberger was out last year. We know that defense and, and Ben's been there forever. They, well, Ben would tell you, stability. Ben would say, I am better than the duck. <laughs> I I would hope that Ben Roethlisberger is better than, than Duck Hodges. Uh, you know, whereas teams like the Browns in Cincinnati, I think we yes. have a, an idea of what the Browns' identity is, but we haven't seen it in action yet. At all. Cincinnati has a rookie quarterback and a second-year head coach. That we, we just don't know what these teams are. A number of them. And it, the, if you were to set up a scenario to penalize teams with new coaching staffs who don't have any sort of uh, stable identity to, to build on. This is it. Wipe out all the spring practices. You know, we make fun of those touch football things in May and April and all that, but it does help at least other teams, not always the Browns, to get lined up correctly and have an idea what they are doing. And then you turn around, and I know they've had far fewer even regular practices in the fall than they normally do. How many times have you, have you been out there, Dan, where you've seen them actually hitting people in pads? Not a lot. Even when they were in pads, it wasn't super physical. It wasn't like tackling to the ground. Mm -hmm. It wasn't um, – there weren't a lot of super competitive periods that we saw. And my guess is that's probably been all around the league. Um, yeah. The difference is Baltimore, Pittsburgh, uh, even New England. Granted, they, they don't have Brady, but the other stuff that they run – 
is probably what they've been running from since Bill's been there. You know, he changes yeah. this or that, but the same basic stuff. So this is really set up to penalize, you know, teams like Cleveland and some of the others too. It's not just Cleveland. And that's why, you know, I'm, I've been wrestling with how good they could be. And I wrote a thing over the weekend saying that we have to be patient on judging Baker. Please, let's not get into the switching to Case Keenum in week three stuff, you know. We can't go down that road. Now, if we're in week nine and he's still throwing the ball to the other team and they can't seem to get set up, okay, then you go to Case Keenum. But otherwise, you have to be patient because if you're Baker, I mean, imagine this. He, the first thing he hears from the new coaching staff is, oh, your footwork's wrong. Start with getting new footwork in. And by the way, we can't practice this in the spring or whatever where we normally would. Yeah, you could do it at home with, you know, Emily, I guess, snapping the ball to him in the front yard or whatever they were doing. Or, you know, out at – well, didn't he get together with a couple of the guys out in yeah. Texas? But yeah. it's, it's not the same. It, it just isn't. And a big difference, Dan, is whereas baseball is such an individual sport, you know, you don't have to block for anybody in baseball. You don't have to worry about the blitz in baseball. And, and I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. I'm not diminishing it, but it is so much individual matchups. Where football, um, you know, Joe Thomas, for example, always talked about how the offensive line, I don't know if you've ever heard him give this speech, is kind of like their hand with five mm -hmm. fingers. You know, each finger is important. Each finger is a little different. And when you, you know, you look at your hand, that's, you know, your center. You know, in fact, your middle finger is like your center. You know, your thumb's like your left tackle. And you, you go from there. And, and, but they all need to work together. Even after you've messed up a couple fingers and you go back to your hand and try to get it going, a lot of times it doesn't work right, right away. Well, they've lost that whole period of muscle memory. And, you know, what, Treader's going to go out there on one knee, I guess. That's what it sounds like. And you're going to have a rookie left tackle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess, and of course, if you're Stefanski, let's see, do I want a rookie center against the Ravens or do I want Treader on one knee, but at least he'll know where everybody's supposed to go. Yeah. So and actually I'm encouraged by that part because I was fearful they were going to go out there with, it's not a knock on this Greg Harris, who actually, I kind of liked how they drafted him. He looked pretty good, you know, on what, what they were saying. And then, um, but he's a fifth round pick and those guys usually need a year to acclimate. Yeah, it's, it's kind of throwing a, a guy out in a fire against a defense that, again, knows who they are. Baltimore mm -hmm. knows what they're going to do. And, and so, you know, you throw Nick Harris out there and Jedrick Wills out there, and it's just – no, it, it no, could have gotten no. messy. You could go real gloom and doom and all that. But there's a couple of things when you do look at the Browns. Well, I know you're Kareem Hunt's agent. I, I am Kareem Hunt's agent. <laughs> well, remember, I'm Rashard Higgins. <laughs> okay, well, let, here, let me ask you this then. When it comes to Hunt and Higgins, because I was thinking about this, if, if you're a coach and you had to make that decision as to which guy you want on the field, and I understand sometimes it's based on matchups, what does Higgins give you necessarily that Hunt doesn't? Other than probably maybe running some down and out patterns or stuff like that, the Baker. What, I mean, Hunt is such a gifted athlete. Right. The, the, and that's he, nothing against Higgins. No, it isn't. Uh, my feeling, by the way, is we'll see how many snaps Jarvis can play. Yeah. I mean, how much have you seen him out there? I saw him the one day I was out there, he caught a pass. Right. I mean, it was about every other day, probably, when we were out there. Yeah. Not a lot. And so they're going to need him probably to at least spell those guys. I mean, I don't want Jarvis Landry coming off of that hip surgery. It's hip. He had the hip, right? The hip yeah. surgery. And um, 
playing every single snap against the Baltimore Ravens in day one I, with no training. I just, you know, no doctor or frankly trainer probably would prescribe that. So Higgins becomes important. Kareem is the one that, as you mentioned, you could put him in the slot, you could put him in motion, you could do a lot of things with him. And I think he's a much better shape than he was last year when he came in at midseason. Yeah. So where we're going here, where you're talking Chubb and Kareem in the, in the uh, backfield, and you're talking, you know, Odell and Jarvis and, and, and Higgins, um, that's in 5,000 tight ends. You can never have enough. So, and as you said, Hooper looked very good, right? Yeah, he did. He, I mean, he was a guy who was catching everything. There was a day out there when he actually dropped a, an easy pass. And we had seen enough of him that seeing him drop a pass was like shocking. You had to double check the number and like, oh my gosh, that was Austin Hooper. So he was, he, out he was there, very reliable. And the day I was out there, Bryant caught a ball or two. Yeah, um, and he, he's, he's so, been really good too. So you've got some good stuff going here on offense. And that's why I just think we may see hopefully not a total repeat of 2018, you know, where they ended up finishing five and three after the, the slow start and everybody getting fired. You know, hopefully you don't have to go through that trauma of, what was it, internal dysfunction or whatever. It is. <laughs> internal discord. That was Yes, internal, internal discord. discord. We don't get rid of that, but probably a slow start. And Yeah. Well, and I think that's what's different about this year than last year. Um, and also maybe a little different than baseball too, yes. right? You know, last year, of course, going into that Tennessee game, everybody was amped up. They were going to win that game. Actually, we're recording this on, on Tuesday. This is the one-year anniversary of that Tennessee game. I don't, I don't know. No, there wasn't 15 penalties, Dad. 18. 18. They, they, there were so many that after a while, they just started declining some out of mercy. I think there were 20 total or something like that, or 21 total. In, I'm one team now. That's all teams. <laughs> but – you know, I think everyone, look, if they go to Baltimore and lose, it's not, I don't think it's going to be panic time with this fan base. I think people are being fairly realistic. And then, you know, the difference I mentioned with baseball is that, that's a 60-game season. Mm-hmm. You know, the NFL, at least as of right now, is still a 16-game season. And if you yes. start 2-2 two and two or 3-4 and four or something like that, your season's not over. You can still finish strong and, and – go for one of those seven spots. I mean, there's that extra playoff spot this year too. Well, so thank goodness it just feels like there isn't that much writing on this week one game yeah. necessarily. No, there isn't other than you just want to see what they, what they look like. This is yeah. going to be a, Dan, I think this, if the coaching staff is good, again, I'm saying that because we don't really know. We like the, the names look good. It's almost like the team, you know, Bill Callahan, really good offensive <laughs> uh, line coach. Yeah. You know, Stefanski's got a resume now of being a good play caller. And Van Pelt is considered to be very good with quarterbacks. Joe Woods, that's iffy to me on defense. You know, I, you look at what he did in Denver, it's like, eh, I don't know. Um, it wasn't terrible. But, but in other words, overall, that coaching staff and, and some of the other guys are pretty well respected. But how will they work together? Now, if they are as good as advertised, then – Say they even start two and four. I mean, I, I haven't won that. They should be able to get by then a good idea what this team looks like, start putting it into the situations that work. That was the one thing that Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens did, is they got the team doing things that they could do well. And they won some games that way. And they stopped lining up off sides and doing stupid stuff. Right. Because don't you think, Dan, early on, these games are almost going to be like, like real practices for these teams. Yeah, that's true. 
You know, th- this is this is very much like a college football season, mm-hmm. and that you're you're going out there and you're playing a game, and that's your first chance. Except the difference is, yeah, you know, you're playing the Baltimore Ravens and not, you know, and I don't know, Akron or Penn State or someone like that. Penn State's obviously had a good year last year, but you, you know, you're not playing one of these teams that you can just overmatch. Yeah, so that 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 is, they always say, well, and it, well. So the college season, they don't have preseason games. Yes, they do. And they pay, <laughs> they pay these schools a million dollars to lose. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the difficult thing is, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they're 0-2. And here's why. Because after the Baltimore game, you turn around four days later, you play Cincinnati. Uh, so you really won't have much time to even take what happened against Baltimore. And if you have to do some implementing and things with Cincinnati, does that mean the season is lost? No. I just think it's going to be a crazy year just like baseball is. And um, I don't think a lot of people, for example, thought the Indians, what are they? Right now, I think we're going to talk, they're 26 and 15. <laughs> Something, yeah. I, think I know they're 11 right over, now. whatever that is. They're 11 games over. Um, and, but the difference is when you have great pitching, uh, in fact, Paul D. Podesta once said that um, what he learned switching from baseball to the NFL, if you have this great quarterback, it's like having a Cy Young. It would be like having Shane Beaver start every game for the Indians. Yeah. He said, that's it. So what we want to do is at least get Baker, you know, up to the level of Carlos Carrasco or somebody <laughs> like that, you know, to, where he's going to give you a good game most of the time. So, all right. I mentioned the predictions. Uh, we, we've got our predictions that we've got to put in print here. I think mine is going up. Uh, I think when everybody listens to this, mine will already have been posted. Um, I, you know, I, a part of me is trying to pump the brakes because I said 10 and 6 last year. I got the numbers right. Well, but, I, uh, I got them in the wrong order. Trying to pump the brakes a little bit. I, so I, I'm somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 and 9 to 9 and 7. That, that's kind of my three-game range right there. Um, I'll probably end up at 8-8, at eight and eight, but I'm not completely sure yet. It, I'm curious where you're at right now. Well, first of all, the NFL's goal is to have every team between seven and nine and nine and seven. It really yeah, much. parity league. That's what they like. You know, let's face it. When you do a, a situation where the worse you are, the higher you draft, not that any of this ever helped Cleveland. And supposedly the worse you are next year, the softer your schedule, at least your independent schedule out of your conference yeah. uh, is supposed to help everybody get between seven and nine and nine and seven. It doesn't work out that way, but you know, I just think I, I'm probably right at 500. You know, I'm going to give it a little more thought. And, you know, I just, I wish we didn't have to go through the growing pains that we have to go through. But like when I was writing our cut story, you know, looking at the roster and I started looking at previous drafts, Dan, when you have an organization, the you're, did, did you know what was the last front office to actually have three drafts in a row? Oh boy, are Mike we going back Holmgren, to Savage? Mike Holmgren, Holmgren and Hecker did three. Holmgren and Hecker, right? But then you have, and I, I'm going somewhere with this. Then you have, you know, you had Banner, and then you had Farmer, and then you had Sashi, and then you had Dorsey, and now we have Barry. All that since 2013. I'm not even going to list all the coaches. A whole bunch of coaches. <laughs> um, to think you're going to have this immediate turnaround out of all of that, you know, chaos is just unfair. I, I mean, if they could actually get to legit eight and eight, begin to, especially at the end of the year, look like a pretty good team. 
Yeah. Um, and I feel good going into the next year, knowing everybody's not going to be fired and that. Uh, then, you know, and you look at Baker Mayfield say, okay, you know, he started slow, but he began to put it together. Uh, I would feel good about that. And as you said, you know, last year, the whole thing was nuts. It just was the expectations and that. So, but I want finally, man, I want games we could watch without reaching for the excedrin. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, when, when you're sitting here looking at the schedule and you play the schedule game, you know, you can talk yourself in circles, right? Like, is Houston yeah. going to be good? We know they have a quarterback. What kind of team are they going to be? I, I guess it's going to come down to games like that. Can mm-hmm. you beat a Houston? And when, when is that game? November? You know, you, you said something. Philadelphia. How, how are those games going to go with teams that kind of have, you know, high ceilings, but also could end up at seven and nine or eight and eight too? Who knows? It's a, it's a weird schedule where they end up with back-to-back games in, in the Meadowlands. Yeah. It's just that. By the way, you said something, one of the Zoom things we did that I forgot about when we talk about wonderful moments from last year. Uh-oh. The Odell returning the punt and the blowout. And saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> we can't have stuff like that. I mean, we. Right. Here's I, I. I'm very sincere when I say this. I, this is a column I'm working on for uh, uh, middle of the week. Is I want a team where the fans are not ashamed of it. Where they because Cleveland fans for all their swinging of emotions and that they do know what good football like, looks like, even if they hardly see it. But I. I don't mean just winning. I mean. Are they lined up correctly? Or they look like they're playing so well? Why did they so embrace that second half of um, of eighteen, where they went five and three, and that because the penalty stopped, and they had the right guys. They didn't have twelve guys and ten guys on the field, and uh, you know, and they were looked like they had it went to the game plan with a game plan, right? Well, and they beat the teams they were supposed to beat. Right. Yes. I mean, yeah, they played a bunch of bad defenses, but they won those games. They didn't they, go to Arizona and lose. Well, all I know this is they, is, they, is they crushed the Bengals, and then they played the Bengals last year at the end of the year, and they got embarrassed. Yeah. How many times they get embarrassed? Like you mentioned that game against Tennessee, get embarrassed. I'm. I don't want. This should be no more embarrassing football. How about that? <laughs> you about you that should football. be able to, you know, after at the end of a game, whether they win or lose, look at the decisions they make. Right. And, and trust that they were made in a smart way because you've got Paul D. Podesta, you've got Kevin Stefanski, who, who's supposed to be very analytics driven. You, mm-hmm. You've got guys who are supposed to be making decisions based on data. So you should be able to look back and say, well, this is why this happened. You know, as opposed to looking back and saying, I was Odell out there returning a punt on Monday Night Football when the game was over. I remember the Kareem Hunt pass thing or whatever that was. Kareem Hunt pass on, on third and third and one from their own 29 or something it was he was like holding the ball over his head like was he was like the statue of liberty was posing for it or something he, i don't know he felt that. like he felt like we all felt why why do i have this ball and why am i trying what to am i supposed it? to do with it who called this play whatever <laughs> it is and, and again that's that's what we need to get away from and, and a part of that now is the reason stefanski got the job is that they believe he's going to be organized you know more of a ceo coach and they won't have stupid stuff going on. Now, now the first week or two, again, these first two games, I'm going to give them a, unless it's just brutal, I'm going to give them a, a pretty good pass on this too. And then they'll have like, what, 10, game, 10 days till the next game or something yeah. like that. So that should really help them. 
Who is game three? I forgot. Game three is Washington. Washington. So that would, and that's at home. So there you are. The Washington football team. (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm going to do the hands revenge game. Because remember, he will be the last coach of the team not called the Washington football team from Washington. Because remember, he was head coach there last year. He was. He was the interim coach. I asked Case Keenum about him, actually. Well, I forgot Case was there. Oh, what memories. So, uh, again, they will be facing a team, though, there that has had many of the same problems the Browns have had in terms of, you know, dysfunction and that. So that's a good game where I'm really going to be bearing down on how do they look against this one. That's where you should see they've had time to look at uh, what's going on, make some changes, and go out and put put it to work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the thing about this early schedule. You've got Baltimore, you've got Cincinnati, which should be a winnable game, but it's on that short week. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you've got Washington, and then you've got to go to Dallas. So, you know, I don't know how much the record really matters. Unless you're – you don't want to be 0-4. No, you don't want to be 0-4. I, I don't know how much the record really matters in those first four games. It's kind of how you look, how Baker looks. Do you look – I, I, I am very worried about the defense, though, Dan. I just am. Everybody's hurt. Yeah. I mean, I know the line is good, but after that, my goodness, I, I Gritty Williams has been day to day. I think since what uh, Warren Harding was president. I mean, this is, <laughs> no, how long has it been? Seriously, when's the last time it's, this guy practiced? It's been a while, and I, I don't remember the exact day, but it was. At least we three saw, weeks, we saw him on Friday out of uniform at the stadium. Oh, they, that sounds like guys were there on Friday, but yeah, he's been. and he didn't have a sling or anything like that, so that was positive. He was just there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he hasn't been out there in pads yet. And, you know, we get to see an injury, injury report tomorrow. Okay. We'll have a better idea of things then. They have to start putting those out every day now. Um, But still, you know, yeah, I'd I'd like to see Greedy get back to practice. That would would be nice. It's been in the safety situations, you know, uh, is this guy Harrison any good? He's he's versatile. Okay. I think the hope is that he can kind of do what Grant Delpit was supposed to do. Yeah. He can play, he can play some corner. He can play some nickel. He can play either safety spot. Mm-hmm. To me, I mean, you know, your worst case scenario is you gave up a fifth round pick. Your best case scenario is maybe you find a guy you can pair with Delpit for a long time. And, and, the, and so. you know, you played at Alabama, you should have been coached up right. I mean, that's one of the things about Willis, Wills, I'm sorry, making the switch. He has been coached like by a pro, and you know, saving coaches out like a pro program, coaches them hard. Um, the players get beat. In fact, that's one of the things that one scout told me. So part of the problem with Alabama players is often, um, unless you're switching positions or something like this, they're almost finished products. So if you you can't project a lot of development into them, this is like what you got because they they get them there. All right. Well, um, anything else? Did, did we get no, Dan, other than this, we'll just uh, <laughs> leave it with this, that it was 13 years ago this week that I was switched from the Beacon Journal to the Plain Dealer, and my very first assignment is where we are right now, only it wasn't Zoom. It was a podcast with you, the first thing I did at the Plain Dealer. So just think of all the progress we've made in the interim. Everything comes full circle. And like we talked about, Maybe this is good news for Browns fans. The year, that year, if everybody's yes. doing the math in their head, was 2007. And that so was the year. Remember, they got – should predict 10 and 6. And they were totally embarrassed in the opener by Pittsburgh 
Charlie Fry got benched at halftime <laughs> and they brought in Derek Anderson and then they traded Charlie Fry like two days later. And from that point on, they actually went 10 and five. <laughs> there you go. So let's hope though, that even if they get embarrassed, they don't trade Baker Mayfield two days later. Right. Ho- hopefully there aren't too, hopefully there aren't too, too many parallels, but it was the Bengals in that second game too. That's right. Let's not forget that. All right. <laughs> well, that'll do it. Uh, for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, make sure you're subscribed to Football Insider. Uh, text 216-208-3965 to start your 14-day free trial. And make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Terry, thanks for the time. You're welcome, Dan.